Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. What is the minimum Democrats need to see for this to be a fair trial? Is the minimum Mitch McConnell approving witnesses? You had your chance to call any witness you wanted during the House of Representatives, during the Judiciary Committee proceedings. You decided you didn't need any witnesses then. You never call any witnesses in the House. Why are you insisting on witnesses in the Senate? A trial without witnesses is not a trial, full stop. But can you see why a number of people, and not necessarily people that are supporters of the president, would, would watch and listen to the managers saying, you need witnesses, you need witnesses. You need the witnesses. We need witnesses. We should hear from the witnesses. And say to themselves, you know what, this is now getting purely political. You don't have trials yeah. without witnesses. I've never heard of a trial without witnesses. But senators don't really want any more witnesses. But here's why we need witnesses. Why go through all this, uh, this business about witnesses? Why not just get it done? This is exhibit A for why we need a real trial in the Senate with real facts, real documents, and real witnesses. But if you have witnesses, it'll, it's going to add months to this thing. We will have a real trial with real evidence and real witnesses. What's the point of going on with this process if you know the outcome in advance? That is an amazing soundbite. That is the 90s to now. And that's how we start Part B. Welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. Yeah, that's some good shit right there because that is most of the same media members <clears throat> saying back then, well, you know, hey, you guys suck, Republicans. And now it's, oh my God, if you don't do what the Democrats say, what are we going to do? The democracy, save the children. Fucking hypocrites. But the most important thing to hit before we get into any of this impeachment sound bites, which will be a lot of sound bites in this, this segment is soundbite central, less me talky, but I gotta start on this. Washington Post impeachment shock. Poll finds Trump in better shape now. Most people across the country remember during the 16 presidential election polls declared Hillary Clinton would win the White House a landslide. As you might expect, the folks who conducted those surveys have been trying to regain their standings. With that in mind, the Washington Post and ABC News began 2020 by releasing their first poll on how people view the upcoming national contest. And the survey indicated that President Trump is in better shape than he was last fall due to the rising approval for his handling of the economy. According to an article released by the Post on Monday and written by <coughs> polling director Clements and Dan Baltz, the results pose a challenge for Democrats' presidential candidates who have criticized the president's policies and focused their economic message on inequality between the richest Americans and everywhere else. The Post connected all this to impeachment and not in a way the Democrats and liberals in the media might assume. The improvement in his job approval rating and his poll to 44%, an increase of six percentage points since fall, coincides with the impeachment. Whether it represents a lasting shift in Trump's favor has obvious political implication given the stakes in the election. In addition, the candidates have concentrated on ways of elevating the financial struggles of the families who are dealing with rising health care, child care, education. Even though citizens have concerned that the economic system favors the wealthy, the survey found that fewer than half are worried about maintaining their own standing standard of living. 
The Post writers also declared, with just over nine months left, Americans see Trump as a slight favorite for re-election with 49 to 43. But those expectations are highly partisan, with 87% of Republicans saying they would Trump will they believe Trump will win re-election while somewhat smaller 78% of majority of Democrats say they believe the party's nominee will win. <clears throat> yeah. It's helping him, but we said he was going to and the people that know it show it the most. Here is Chuck Todd. He's annoyed. He gave John Bolton, a guy he hates, one hour, and then he gives Schumer advice on how to get this motherfucker out of office. Ken Conrad, this format of the Q&A has got to be highly frustrating. After that question is asked, okay, I, why isn't there, why isn't Chuck Schumer just doing nothing but passing questions that constantly follow up on this point? Well, I only ask this because it did seem one of the one of the tougher questions that the Republicans had to deal with came from Senators Collins and Murkowski was on the issue of the president's, you know, did he show any interest in the Bidens before essentially spring of 19? I didn't sense any many follow ups on the Democratic side to the Republican side on that question. Jason, um, should you heard Dick Durbin basically say that's probably going to be the same pattern today. Missed opportunity. Rich, this is the, the large, Jason's bringing up something that I wonder how many of the institutionalists in there worry about the precedent being set here about Congress's role on oversight. Because that is a subtext of all of this, mm-hmm. which is what authority does the legislative branch have anymore? And the way this trial's going, it really weakens it. John Bolton has determined this stuff. He doesn't think it's classified. He doesn't think it endangers national security. He is holding it back to monetize it. Right. And I do think people around the country, across across the ideological spectrum, are right. sick and tired of people in Washington saying, I have a story, and if I can, make, if I can make commas on it, if I can make millions of dollars on it, I'm going to hold it back until then. He could speak right now. And I hate to name check uh, a groundbreaking Sunday television show That's here true. on the weekdays, but... Mr. Bolton can go on yes, and meet the press, he's welcome. the best Sunday show, or any other show, not to make it only about our channel. He could go and meet the press and talk to you about it and still have a big, lucrative book tool. Before, by the way, and full hour, I would have to take a couple of commercial breaks, but he can have the full, full hour. Full hour, there you go. Wow. Senator Schumer, are we ever going to have the president under oath? Bill Clinton was under oath. Richard Nixon, after the fact, went under oath with the grand jury. Is well, Donald Trump ever going to be under oath on this? Is he going to be a yeah. witness you call? Ask him. He won't even let the people around him testify. This has been the most massive obstruction, absolute Can't you uh, call obstruction him? that we've ever no. had. Well, I, you know, we'd have to check the law and all of that. But if he wanted to come, I'm sure that his own lawyers would let him come. And then if we have literally Matthews, The View, and Wallace. These are just the worst of the worst. And then I'll start reading stuff. But this just shows they know it isn't going to happen. I think the other thing that, that Chuck Rosenberg, you, you commented on when you sat down here after the sort of morning news gush, and, that, and that's what these are. I mean, yep. These are days where you sort of wake up to like a, a volcano, volcanic eruption. Yep. So today's eruption brought with it a second excerpt from the Bolton book. The Constitution reserves to Congress two of the most important uh, decisions in the life of this country, whether to declare war, 
uh, and whether to remove a president from office. I mean, those two questions are reserved for Congress by the text of the Constitution. A fascinating document. For either of those two things to happen, do you want more information or less information? Do you declare war with almost no intelligence, or do you declare war with the best intelligence you can muster? And if you're going to remove a president, do you do it with no first-hand account of what he was doing and thinking, or with first-hand accounts of what he was doing and thinking? They're so exposed on the Trump question, and, and the whole thing, bookended by Access Hollywood on one end, the Bolton book with the Kelly corroboration and seal of veracity on the other. And that's what they're dealing with, right? The Trump White House doesn't believe this thing is is static. The Trump White House is prepared for almost like a, a, a ride down rocky, you know, whitewater rafting. So the idea that they're going to lock in on a position and take a second vote to deprive witnesses is utter insanity from a political perspective. And we've been talking about the facts and, and, and the legal standpoint, but just the pure politics on this are insanity. You've only got, I think, 51 to 54 percent that are behind his immediate removal from office. The 75% around witnesses is political suicide. You have the president's spokespeople on Fox and Friends and other, well, only on Fox and Friends, saying that Bolton is lying and disputing uh, his, 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 what he said and saying that, the, that it, this all came out because the book is going on sale. Well, if they want to contest his facts, the only way to do that is in the trial. That's what a trial is for. Yeah, but they're like the North Korean army in the, in the <laughs> Korean War, which would charge without rifles. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they don't even have weapons. They just come out, take me, take me. I'm willing to say anything for this president with Stephanie Grisham. Well, th- that is clear, that they yeah. don't have any weapons. But certainly, if they are going to challenge what John Bolton is saying, then they should mm-hmm. challenge him in front of the American people. The only people who actually agree with you are on your defense team. And 75% of Americans want to hear from Bolton. So why should we listen to you? I'm not arguing about witnesses. What I'm saying is the charge of obstruction of Congress and abuse of power are not within the constitutional terms high crimes and misdemeanors. The framers rejected terms just like that. They rejected maladministration as a potential term. And maladministration is virtually the same as abuse of power. All right, good. I was just going to ask you, uh, say that uh, according to what I'm reading, you're the only constitutional scholar who goes with that line. There is not one other who agrees with you. Not let one. Me, let me be very clear about that. In 1867, the okay, dean wait, of the wait, Columbia wait, wait, wait. Law School... <laughs> Alan, yeah, no, you know, this, in 1492... You know, let Columbus sees a blue, but listen, I need, const- I need just to move on. So no, you're no, no, saying no, no, now no, that no, you no, need no, a crime? You're, you're not going to get me to move on until I make this point. Okay, well, when here's the, here's the thing, Alan. You're not going to get any time because you got four people trying to ask you questions. So, and so I'm gotta, asking I have, you to move I, faster. I have to make this point. At the right, Shortly after the Constitution was enacted, okay. the dean of the Columbia Law School said that it, the weight know. of authority was in favor of it being a crime. Now the academics all say it isn't. Why? Because Donald Trump is being impeached. If Hillary Clinton were being impeached, they'd all be on That's my just side. Baloney. That's just so, baloney. Okay, are you done? Okay, so you're saying you need a, you need a crime or criminal-like behavior criminal-like to impeach behavior. a... That's right. That's not me. That's what the framers said okay. of the Constitution. So now we're, I'm moving you on or I'm cutting you sure. off. One or the other is going to happen. But the GAO, an independent watchdog, said right. last week that withholding the aid to Ukraine was illegal. No, they didn't say that. They said, no, 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 no. Yes, they Sonny, did. 
did. Sonny. Yes, Sonny. they did. Sonny, I'll tell you. What if the president spent the year vacationing in Moscow, changed the language of this country perhaps to Russian, or decided to stop doing his job entirely and perhaps golf all day? He does that Are now. you saying I, we'd I have no grounds I, to impeach I, I, him? Because none of that you. is a crime either. The media wanted this. The media pushed for it. They're not getting it. Jennifer Rubin. <clears throat> They're trying so hard to influence the electorate to get more behind it. Um, I'm going to play a soundbite. It'll call, be called Dazzling, because this is what they say. This is the most brilliant league presentation I've heard. <clears throat> Numb comes close. The tone, the facts, the anticipated defense. I'm in awe. Nicole Wallace. Adam Schiff steps back in the spotlight this afternoon after delivering an impassioned and unforgettable speech. Republicans too terrified by Trump to impeach. When you watch somebody like Lindsey Graham in the clip that you show before the break, what you're seeing here is a face of terror. Every breath, every public word, Lindsey Graham says is based on his terror of Donald Trump. That's uh, Lawrence O'Donnell. CNN reporter Jeremy Herb. Yesterday, for instance, Senator Richard Burr, Senator from North Carolina, decided to bring in, bring in a fidget spinner to help his colleagues pass the time. Tom Cotton got very excited. He has a purple spinner. John Berman, like 30 of them, Senate Republicans would be in the slammer now of Supreme Court Justice Roberts actually enforced the rule. Seriously, they're tacking in the chamber. They could be thrown behind bars. How can we get these sleepy, lazy Republicans to impeach Trump? Gail King, you and your colleagues are laying out what are some of the call a detailed, extraordinary, and somewhat excruciating case to remove the president. Do you think you're going to get through to the Republicans who are listening? Tony DePole, uh, Congressman, when you make the case and you look out on the floor of senators, we've seen reports that some are doing crossword puzzles, some doze off. Do you feel you have their attention? Snuffburger. I have to say it was breathtaking, maybe a little surreal to see Ken Starr on the age of impeachment, comparing impeachment to war, calling it hell, when he was a chief instigator. I mean, this guy was in the Clinton campaign. How can you have him as a newsman? Seriously. Terry Moran. I'm sure, I sure was, George. I thought the most impressive aspect of Ken Starr's presentation there was the fact that he could keep a straight face through it because he was the leader and instigator in the Clinton impeachment. Meet the press, Chuck Todd. Thought you were being very deferential or diplomatic on the Ken Starr thing. I, I'll say it less diplomatically. This is akin to a bank robber complaining that banks were easy, too easy to rob. Jeffrey Tubin, Trump must be guilty. Look at all the white people. White House and white people. I mean, you know, this is a lesson in the diversity of the two parties. I mean, you look at the House manager who's almost evenly divided between men and women. It was you had two African Americans, you had a Hispanic. I mean, you know, it was all white men today. There are two... Two white women. Their entire field is white people for president. As Ted Cruz rightly said, there's never been, other than Obama, somebody win a primary with Democrats in the presidential slot. Carl Bernstein, this is the most important moment for Republican Party since the censure of Joe McCarthy. Joe Scarborough. 
These shameless Trumpsters will remain shameless Trumpsters. But we do know how the story ends. We do know how history writes this. We know that everyone who defends Donald Trump right now will be exposed. We know Mike Pence will be exposed for what he is. We know that Barr will be exposed for what he is. Rudy Giuliani for what he is. History, it will be bleak. And their families, their children, their grandchildren, everyone who has their last name will carry that around with them. They decide to continue lying for a failed reality TV show host. Uh, Alex Wagner, it's not, it's heartbreaking, it's a farce, there are Republican centers in the audience with fidget spinners, but when you think about the gravity of the moment, this is a test of liberal democracy. Has one party become so corrupt by power that they're shredding the basic principles of what the country stands for? Yes! Yes, the Democrats are shredding this democracy. They've shredded it since November 9th, with lies, investigations that are bullshit, and an impeachment that is fucking horseshit. Here is the dazzle. Congressman Adam Schiff steps back into the spotlight this afternoon, hours after delivering an impassioned and unforgettable speech Thursday night that will ripple through this presidential election year and beyond. There are speeches in politics that leave a mark. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that was one of them. That speech broke through no matter which side of that question you come down on. Yeah, and and speaking there, not just as a manager, but as a Democrat, was powerful. This guy is deliberately at his best. This Adam Schiff character here has been working so hard to get his game on that he's got it. He's the best he can be. And I wish everybody in that Senate would say, today I'm going to be the best I can be as a U.S. Senator. That's the call to arms. I think that... Not just Democrats, but everyone uncomfortable with Donald Trump has struggled for four years now to come up with a response to MAGA. And and it's right matters. I mean, that is the other side of the coin. This will be his summation. um, And I feel sorry for him in a way because he did so well night before last and then did even better last night. So he's got to reach... Uh, tonight, but um, as he closes uh, the, the case for the House managers, I look for him to uh, make a speech that probably kids will be reading about in history books years from now. I've, I've been involved in partisan politics my whole career, but there was no way to watch Adam Schiff last night and feel like anything but an American. When I was sitting there, I was thinking back to when I was a boy watching Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch. I'm excited for tonight. And we talked about, you know, how good Adam Schiff has done. My feeling going into this evening, as somber as this all is, is his performances every single day, performances both from a substantive and a presentation level, have been amazing. It's it's like... Uh, Springsteen or Billy Joel or Prince when he was alive, like you're clapping and they come back out and then they do another song that's even better. I suspect that tonight he is going to do something that is absolutely outstanding. We don't know how this ends in the Senate. They'll, uh, these, these shameless Trumpsters will remain shameless Trumpsters. But we do know how the story ends. We do know how history writes this. That we know that everyone who defends Donald Trump right now will be exposed. We know Mike Pence will be exposed for what he is. We know that Barr will be exposed for what he is. We know that all of these characters, Rudy Giuliani, will be exposed for what he is. The history, it will be bleak. And and their families, their children, their grandchildren, everyone who has their last name will carry that around with them if if they decide to continue 
lying for a failed reality TV host who will show them no loyalty. Loyalty only goes one way with Donald Trump. And that's what I find so remarkable here, that all of these people who are going to be called out, I promise you, I say this to you as your buddy, you're going to be called out. You might as well do what Lev did and come clean. Mike Pence, history's going to record your deeds. Maybe let your wife. in front of them. No need to talk to Barr. He's corrupt to the core. Ken Starr's arguments to start off the day were interesting, to say the least. I mean, sort of boiled down to its essential core. He was arguing that we've had too many impeachments and that we're making it too easy to go about this process, which... Aside from sort of the ironic nature of this coming from Ken Starr, it really just isn't borne out by the facts. I'll say it more less diplomatically. This is akin to a bank robber complaining that banks were too ro- too easy to rob. I'd say that's less <laughs> diplomatically. What are you saying, Bert? She's an attorney. Astonished. It is astonishing that Ken Starr is lamenting that it's become too easy to use impeachment when, by any measure. The Clinton impeachment is something that a lot of people have debated left and right about. Did it sort of define impeachment downward? When I want to bring in Terry Moran, you and I both covered uh, that Senate trial back in early 1999. I have to say it was uh, breathtaking, maybe even a little surreal to see Ken Starr take on the age of impeachment, comparing impeachment to war, calling it hell when he was the chief instigator of President Clinton's impeachment. You know, it sure was, George. I thought the most impressive aspect of Ken Starr's presentation there was the fact that he could keep a straight face through it. Uh, because he was the leader and instigator of the Clinton impeachment. An impeachment, he talked uh, today about how impeachment needs a national consensus. Sixty percent of Americans opposed the impeachment of President Bill Clinton, uh, which was over a sexual relationship with a young woman and his lying about it. Uh, apparently, Ken Starr thinks that is a, a legitimate reason to impeach a president of the United States, but the, what is alleged here the use of presidential power to muscle a foreign government to investigate an American citizen who happens to be the president's political rival, that that's illegitimate. It was, it was an achievement for him uh, to, to get through that. And he talked about uh, essentially that impeachment also, in his mind, should be a violation of established law. That was a slippery term, I thought. He didn't say crime because he's too good a constitutional scholar not to be able to read the history uh, of the Constitutional Convention and subsequent events to know, uh, to say that impeachment had to be for a crime, but he kept saying it had to be a violation of established law. That's, that is a tricky term indeed. It was quite a performance, uh, which he did uh, at length. I'm not sure that it would appeal to anyone on the Democratic side, but maybe he was there to remind uh, Republicans of how much they hated Bill Clinton. One of the other things I think was notable was who did the arguments today. Uh, it was uh, it was mostly the president's official lawyers. These are White House lawyers. These are government employees, as opposed to the president's personal lawyers. Jay Sekulow was the only personal lawyer who spoke today. That that, that to me was pretty striking. White White House and white people 
Um, I mean, you know, th- this is a lesson in the diversity of the two parties. I mean, you look at the House managers, it was almost evenly divided between men and women. It was, you had two African Americans, you had a Hispanic. I mean, you know, look, it was all white men today. There are two, two white women on, on, allegedly on the team. We'll see if they're allowed to argue. But I mean, I think, you know, in a visual medium, when you have one side, um, that has a very diverse team, and the other side that's all white men, that says something in and of itself. It was not spellbinding. Um, I thought Mr. Purpura, uh, who was, uh, I believe, the second person to argue, did a very good job. But after that, I thought the, the, it, it, it deteriorated. Um, I was very surprised that Jay Sekulow, who I think is a very fine lawyer, I'd seen him argue in the Supreme Court several times, um, sort of wandered uh, in the um, wastelands of the Mueller report uh, that didn't seem very relevant. Um, Mr. Philbin, who is not a spellbinding performer, uh, went on about how it was it was legitimate in their view uh, not to respond to any subpoenas and not to respond to any wit- and not to provide any witnesses uh, by the Trump administration. I thought that was a particularly weak. When you watch somebody like Lindsey Graham in the clip that you showed uh, before the break, uh, what you're seeing there is the face of terror. Mm. That man has lived in terror since the day Donald Trump gave out his phone number to the country when he was running against Donald Trump as a presidential candidate. He now is running in terror of Donald Trump for re-election in South Carolina this year. Every breath, every public word, Lindsey Graham says, is based on his terror of what Donald Trump can do to him if he doesn't worship Donald Trump publicly and what his voters will do to him if he doesn't worship Donald Trump publicly. There was no one like that in the United States Senate during the Clinton trial. No one. In either party. No, in either party. Absolutely not. And so, so this is, this is, there's a, there's a poison element on the Republican mm-hmm. side that has been poisoned by Trump terror, the thing that guides every public moment of their lives. Uh, but there's a, I, and Claire can tell you, when, when the, when the chamber changes into a function like this, the, the, something changes inside you. you. You feel something very, very different to be, uh, Republican Jeff Flake of Arizona served in the Senate from 2013 until last year. In September, he wrote in the Washington Post, My fellow Republicans, it is time to risk your careers in favor of your principles. Whether you believe the president deserves impeachment, you know he does not deserve re-election. You have said uh, recently, uh, fellow Republicans, there's still time to save your souls. You've also said politics can make us silent when we speak, when we should speak. Silence can equal complicity. Do you think, Senator, that you should have spoken up more? Do you regret that you didn't speak up more? And why is it so difficult for Republicans to speak up against this president when they don't believe what he's doing? Tell us why that's so hard. Do you wish you had spoken up more? But it seems like if you do speak up, Mitch McConnell's trying to make the trial a farce. I mean, trying to make it a, a, a joke. I mean, this is, you know, the trial will start every day at one in the afternoon, 12 hours would be one in the morning. But that's not how the Senate works. There will be breaks. So the idea is that McConnell wants to try to keep most of the evidence in the wee hours so that nobody sees it. And then the the real new um, atrocity, frankly, that, that McConnell added today, which I don't think many people saw coming, was the idea that the the House managers 
couldn't even present their evidence without a vote from the full Senate, something that's completely new, that was not true in the, in the, uh, in the Clinton trial. And, and it, it's all just designed to engineer an acquittal as soon as possible. Well, I mean, look, the evidence is out there. I mean, it's not right. like it's not known. It's not nobody's hiding anything. They can certainly refer to what happened in the House. Then, then why this vote? Yeah. Again, there's uh, a lot more evidence to be known. The it, government accountability. That's what part of this is about. That it, what the president did was illegal. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, they've I, referred I, I to it I, in their I, documents. Yeah, there's a lot of things but, that the GAO said that Obama did was illegal, and nobody said anything about it. Well, so the reality is the GAO represents the Congress. They have a different point of view than the executive branch, right. and there's always contestants. But, but all I, I want to agree with Jeffrey on this. I think this is a perversion of the process that was used with Bill Clinton. Plain and simple. It's condensed to the point where it's laughable. It's a joke. I mean, you want people to sit there for 12 hours a day and listen to this rather than splitting it up, as was with Clinton, to six or so hours a day just Who's because, just because, I'm, let me finish, just because the President of the United States would like to have this done conveniently by the State of the Union. And so do you think there might have been some motive that Nancy Pelosi held this for a month to be proximate to the State of the Union, well, but, so, but, so, so he would Nancy be under Pelosi was actually trying you to think find that had out. nothing to do no, with it? Nancy Pelosi was actually trying to find out what the rules oh, were going to be. And by the way, Mitch McConnell was going to keep them in his back pocket until but, the final day anyway. She had no but leverage also, but, but Rick, there couldn't have... There, even if she turned over the uh, the articles earlier... They couldn't have started the trial before now. Right. They, they, let's, let's try they, a bigger they, view. Was, was, they were on the Christmas vacation. Oh, that, that, look, they would have started it a lot earlier and, and they would have, and, and this could have been done in a more orderly fashion. Nancy Pelosi forced a shortened process. No. Carl? We're already down in the weeds. Let's look at the big picture, which is this is the most important moment for the Republican Party since the censure of Joe McCarthy and the impeachment and resignation of Richard Nixon, in which Republicans became great heroes and patriots. Now we're looking at Midnight Mitch and the so-called world's greatest deliberative body really embracing a cover-up that is there for all to see. That's what this is about. It's about preventing information from... That's exactly what I think we just saw for the past couple of hours, two and a half hours. Is Adam Schiff addressing the Senate sitting as a court of impeachment with a proper legal argument? It was meticulous and well-organized. It was grounded in evidence, which he recited and arranged, as you said, in a comprehensive narrative. At times, he tried to rise to a level of eloquence and stir a sense of responsibility for the Senate. We heard him again and again talk about the responsibility to future times, that what is done here will have an impact generations to come on the delicate balances in the Constitution, on the power of the President and the Congress and how uh, they have been arranged up until now. At one point saying that if the Senate rejects the Democrats' case, that the President abused his power, quote, we will write the history of our decline with our own hands. And I think we're seeing a clash of cultures that is going to be uh, right through this trial. Uh, here is an argument made by Adam Schiff in a classic legal fashion, even rising to the level of senatorial eloquence, if there is such a thing, in contrast to the rhetoric that we live with every day, the, the kind of brash and proudly profane Trumpian rhetoric, where argument consists essentially of gainsaying uh, your opponent or calling them names, uh, Rethuglican or 
democrat or whatever that now passes in many, many areas of our life uh, as sufficient, sufficient to resolve difficult questions of policy. This is a test of that older way of of resolving issues, the older style of argument that we just listened to for two and a half hours, and the bullet-fast, bullet-hard argument uh, that is championed more than anyone in our public life by the president who is... The media is so investment, a survey by Newsbusters, Evening News, 100% negative on Trump's defense, 95% positive on Dems. The inlays, uh, evening newscast reports and anchors made a total of 34 evaluative statements about the merits and effectiveness of both sides. Democrat impeachment managers received a total of 21 evaluative statements. So that's 21 out of 34. ABC, CBS, and NBC, 95 were positive. Eight on ABC, CBS, evening news at five, and NBC news had the lone negative comment. In stark contrast, every evaluative statement, 13 on ABC, CBS, and NBC, were negative of Republican. Lester Holt opened the segment for day two of Democratic argument by suggesting they were painting a damning portrait of the president. The lone negative evaluation for Democrats came from NBC News' Chuck Todd when he shared his frustration with how the managers seemed unable to to shift it. So it's not a negative. It is, they're not good enough. <clears throat> and all the networks cover the Democratic managers for 25 minutes. That's compared to 11 minute and 34 seconds they gave to the defense team, which was all negative. But the funniest part, as impeachment rolls, Fox dominates CNN and ratings. Uh, 18th Secretary Ansley Earhart, co-host of Fox Friends Morning Program, announced on Wednesday Fox News is the most-watched cable news network on the 18th year in a row. She threw in some ro- mocking at CNN. The most-watched show on CNN was Anderson Cooper. It finished 23 behind 14 Fox News programs. Fox and Friends averaged 1.7 million viewers, and we say thank you. January, of course, was the impeachment trial. Apparently, Americans just don't watch the liberal CNN spin on Senate trial. During the weeknight primetime schedule, Sean Hannity remained the king with 3.9 million viewers. According to press release, FNC posted on Tuesday fellow weeknight anchors Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram helped the channel dominate the slate. The release stated during the month of January, Fox had a whopping top 10 out of 10 cable news programs. Top 8 out of 10, I'm sorry. Carlson, uh, Hannity, Ingram, in that Carlson bag, 3.6 million total. Ingram, 3.3. And we already talked 3.9. As proof of the claim, the executive stated FNC averaged 2.92 million total viewers during prime time, during the month of impeachment, MSDNC had 1.7. CNN had 1.1 million people. 1.1. But we're told that the majority of Americans want to impeached. Oh, okay. Representative Doug Collins, House Democrats moved quickly to advance articles of impeachment against Trump based solely on their dislike of him. Professor Turley warned Adam Schiff and House Democrats to develop a thorough record. They declined. On May 8th, 
2019, Chairman Naylor told us a subpoena is just the beginning of a dialogue. If that's true, why didn't the House subpoena Ambassador Bolton? Why didn't Adam Schiff lie to the American people about a secret interaction with the whistleblower? Because he's a lying liar. Why don't, why didn't House Democrats allow the courts to intervene to resolve an interbranch constitutional struggle? Why are the House managers begging the Senate to do their job for them? They know they didn't make a case to remove him, and they're trying to put the blame on Senate Republicans for political reasons. Basically, when Trump is still president and likely re-elected in November, they can pretend they did everything they could, but evil Republicans stop them because they're too biased to remove King. Six out of seven House managers supported impeaching real Donald Trump before the whistleblower complaint was even filed. Why are they seeking to subvert the will of 63 million voters? And that's the part of this that just pisses me off. Why? Why? It's just, they believe they know better. They always do. Democrats think they know better than everybody. Is this a joke? Impeachment drunk Milano pleads for common ground. In a Twitter rant, she actually tried emphasizing with Trump supporters on Twitter because mocking people for how they voted in 2016 is not the answer. Maybe just maybe it's an, a, as simple as listening more and trying to find some common ground so people feel seen and heard. It was a valiant attempt, but lefty smugness is the most powerful force in the universe, and her out-of-touch condescension strangled her good intention. I think I understand why you voted for him, she tweeted at her imaginary new Trump friends. You were struggling. You didn't feel seen or heard by the previous administration. I get it. By voting for Trump, you felt you were voting for change that could potentially help you and your family and keep unborn babies alive and roll back eight years of punitive environmental and consumer protection regulation on businesses and lower taxes and get control over our borders and repeal and replace Obamacare and adjust foreign policy and a host of other issues, this article says. But you got them all figured out, Alyssa. And to that extent, I ask you, are you better off? Are you struggling less? Because the country as a whole isn't better off. The divide has never been deeper. Perhaps not. But most people are too busy working and investing and living and dwell on political differences. But she really didn't care how individual affairing. She had talking points to get to. I don't know what's going to happen with impeachment. I'm hoping at best... I'm hopeful at best, but I do know this. Mocking people for how they voted in 2016 is not the answer. Maybe, just maybe, it's a simple listening, more in trying to find more common ground so people feel seen and heard. In 3.5 years since Trump was elected, hate crimes have gone up. Gun violence has gone up. Depression and anxiety have gone up. Come, let us reason together. Maybe your olive branch would be more appealing if not for a recent history. She campaigned with tears on camera to get Kavanaugh, innocent man, blocked Supreme Court. She was also the face of the Georgia pro-life boycott. She's a piece of shit. She's just a piece of shit. That's who she is. She's always been a piece of shit. She always will be a piece of shit. So, we end our impeachment hit. And we're going to segue straight into Don Lemon, all right, with this defense person pretty much summing up what we just said. You just want to redo the, you don't want to go to electoral because you're afraid you're not going to win. You think the people that voted for him are all pieces of shit. You know better, blah, 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 blah. So I'm not going to start Don Lemon off with what he said. I'm going to start Don Lemon off with Don Lemon own words, that everybody who's white's a terrorist. And then you're going to hear 
47% for Mitt Romney, Rush Limbaugh, and deplorables. And then we're going to play his little ad that the RNC did. And we're going to discuss, before we really get into this, how, why is it that Republicans say something wrong and it's hammered on them? Liberals don't suffer anything. We've made three basic points. One, all you need in this case is the Constitution and your common sense. You just look at the articles of impeachment. The articles of impeachment fall far short of any constitutional standard, and they are dangerous. And if you look to the words from the past that I think are instructive, as I said last night, they're instructive because they were right then and they're right now. And I'll leave you with some of those words. There must never be a narrowly voted impeachment or an impeachment supported by one of our major political parties and opposed by the other. Such an impeachment will produce the divisiveness and bitterness in our politics for years to come and will call into question the very legitimacy of our political institutions. This is unfair to the American people. By these actions, you would undo the free election that expressed the will of the American people in 1996. In so doing, you will damage the faith the American people have in this institution and in the American democracy. You will set the dangerous precedent that the certainty of presidential terms, which has so benefited our wonderful America, will be replaced by the partisan use of impeachment. Future presidents will face election, then litigation, then impeachment. The power of the president will diminish in the face of the Congress, a phenomenon much feared by the founding fathers. This is a constitutional amendment that we are debating, not an impeachment resolution. The Republicans are crossing out the impeachment standard of high crimes and misdemeanors, and they are inserting the words any crime or misdemeanor. We are permitting a constitutional constitutional coup d'etat which will haunt this body and our country forever. I warn my colleagues that you will reap the bitter harvest of the unfair partisan seeds you sowed today. The constitutional provision for impeachment is a way to protect our government and our citizens, not another weapon in the political arsenal. I expect history will show that we've lowered the bar on impeachment so much. We have broken the seal on this extremely extreme, extreme penalty so cavalierly that it will be used as a routine tool to fight political battles. My fear is that when a Republican wins the White House, Democrats will demand payback. You were right. <laughs> but I'm sorry to say you were also prophetic. And I think I couldn't say it better myself, so I won't. You know what the right answer is in your heart. You know what the right answer is for our country. You know right, what the right answer is for the American people. There are 47% of the people who vote for the president no matter what. 
All right, there are 47% who are with him who are dependent upon government, who believe that, that they are victims, who believe that government has a responsibility to care for them, who believe that they are entitled to health care, to food, to housing, to you name it. But that's it's an entitlement, and government should give it to them. And they will vote for this president no matter what. And, and I mean, the president starts off with 48, 49, 40, he starts off with a huge number. These are people who pay no income tax. 47% of Americans pay no income tax. So our message of low taxes doesn't connect. And he'll be out there talking about tax cuts for the rich. I mean, that's what they sell every, every four years. And, uh, and so my job is not to worry about those people. I'll never convince them that they should take personal responsibility and care for their lives. What I have to do is convince the 5 to 10% in the center that are independent, that are thoughtful, that look at voting one way or the other, depending upon in some cases, emotion, whether they like the guy or not. Now to that huge firestorm developing after Rush Limbaugh's controversial comments on his radio show about a Georgetown student in the center of the battle over contraception and religious rights. ABC's Jake Tapper is here with this story. And Jake, this is really heating up. Good morning. Good morning, Robin. So much of politics is about framing. Is this a debate about contraception? Is it a debate about religious liberty? Or is it a debate about a talk radio giant insulting a third-year law student? For two days, Rush Limbaugh has eviscerated Sandra Fluke on the radio. What does it say about the college co-ed Susan Fluke, who goes before a congressional committee and essentially says that she must be paid to have sex? What does that make her? It makes her a slut, right? Makes her a prostitute. She wants to be paid to have sex. Fluke, a third-year law student at Georgetown, is now the flashpoint in a debate about whether employers should be required to fully cover contraception, even if they have religious objections. Fluke had been prevented from testifying by Republican Congressman Darrell Issa at this congressional hearing in mid-February. Two congresswomen even walked out of the hearing after only men testified. But last week, Fluke was back before Congress, this time speaking at an unofficial hearing held by Democrats. Without insurance coverage, contraception, as you know, can cost a woman over $3,000 during law school. For a lot of students who, like me, are on public interest scholarships, that's practically an entire summer's salary. Those comments set off the talk radio giant on Wednesday. She's having so much sex she can't afford the contraception. She wants you and me and the taxpayers to pay her to have sex. What does that make us? We're the pimps. And again on Thursday. If we're going to have to pay for this, then we want something in return, Ms. Fluke. And that would be the videos of all this sex posted online so we can see what we are getting for our money. Overnight, Fluke responded on MSNBC. I guess my reaction is what uh, the reaction that a lot of women have when they've been called these names. Initially, you're, you're stunned, but then very quickly you're outraged because this is historically the kind of language that is used to silence women. House Democrats are seizing on this issue, asking House Speaker John Boehner, a Republican, to condemn Limbaugh's remarks. Robin? All right, Jake, thanks very much. You know, to just be grossly generalistic, you could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. <laughs> right? The ra- 
racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. And unfortunately, there are people like that. And he has lifted them up. He has given voice to their websites that used to only have 11,000 people. Now have 11 million. He tweets and retweets. They're offensive, hateful, mean-spirited rhetoric. Now some of those folks, they are irredeemable, but thankfully they are not American. But the other basket, the other basket, and I know because I look at this crowd, I see friends from all over America here. I see friends from Florida and Georgia and South Carolina and Texas and as well as, you know, New York and California. But that other basket of people are people who feel the government has let them down, the economy has let them down, nobody cares about them, nobody worries about what happens to their lives and their futures, and they're just desperate for change. It doesn't really even matter where it comes from. They don't buy everything he says, but he seems to hold out some hope that their lives will be different. That they won't wake up and see their jobs disappear. Lose a kid to heroin. Feel like they're in a dead end. Those are people we have to understand and empathize with as well. So let me get one more in so I can make my point. Because I forgot the bitter clinger. People have been beaten down so long, and they feel so betrayed by government. Well, it's not surprising then that they get bitter. They cling to guns or religion or uh, antipathy towards people who aren't like them, or a way to explain their frustrations. So, once again, we played it last time. Rick, what's his name? Rick Wilson talks shit about you could put a U in a crane. Remember the soundbite? Well, we're going to hear it in a second. So, instantly the RNC uses it for an app. All right? And then, of course, everyone makes a big big deal out of it. They, they oh, I can't believe they're doing this ad. So, let's listen to the ad. This is what the RNC did with Don Lemon's statement. Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. You can put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. <laughs> and so that's partly him playing to their base. Anyone who supported this president is at best You know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump um, that, that wants to think that, that, that Donald Trump's a smart one and they're, oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitist or Trump always loves the, the low information guy. You elitist with your geography and your maps. Issue of, of racism across the country because that, that's his base. Your math and you're, you're reading. <laughs> yeah, you're reading, you know, your geography.
So for the record, I never listened to the RNC ad until right now. Because it's exactly what I just did. Alright? It's exactly what I just did. And what's my point? In mine, you heard 47%. Rush Limbaugh, the last part, or the A part of this podcast, aspirin between an E. And when those people said it, every candidate running for office who had an R behind their name had to answer for Rush fucking Limbaugh. They ensured not only that, you know, Romney's foreign policy was the 80s, but now they're saying Russia's our enemy. Really fucking confusing there. Binders full of women, because he said, I have binders full of women to get jobs in my administration. And he, they had to find something because it was a good response. And they ran that 47% for an entire election cycle. The first Obama, it was Rush Limbaugh and the Aspen. The second Obama, it was 47 fucking percent. But when Obama said bitter clingers, or the video that's, I mean, it's all over Twitter right now, of Obama talking about, I don't wear a flag pin because I'm not, you know, it doesn't, I don't like what it uh, fucking says about America and patriotism and all that shit. None of that shit flowed. We played roosters, chicken, and roosting, and coming home to roost, chickens. Reverend Wright. Those are all by design, my friends, because Republicans have to own shit. They have to own radio hosts. They have to own fucking Sean Hannity. They got to own fucking Tucker Carlson as a libertarian. They own Fox News. Democrats, who are the real people saying horrible things about Americans... There is 47% of the country that wants handouts. That's why 47% of the country is on handouts. I'm one of the 47%. I have a pension and I have disability. I earn mine. But yeah, I rely on that for income now that my wife lost her job. That's a true fucking statement. But to say that 50% of Donald Trump's fucking people are deplorables, that people are bitter clingers to their Bible and their guns, a preacher who literally says America's a fucking shithole, and now Don Lemon, if there's anything more liberal than Don Lemon, a gay black man on the most liberal network there is, why don't they have to own it? Because let's not forget, this is the same guy who said all whites are terrorists. We have to stop demonizing people and realize the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. He said it. He's been demeaning Americans. We're all racist. I mean, I said it right after the election, and it always astounded me. I thought it was going to be the sexist thing. I thought it was going to be America's a sexist nation because we couldn't break the glass ceiling because we didn't elect a really shitty candidate in Hillary Clinton. That's I would have bet money on that. But instead, they went racist. That's where they went. But he said it forever. And the left doesn't have to own it. They don't have to own what a talk show host says. They don't even have to own what their own candidates say. Because we're going to get to Biden in a bit, too. Here's some of the tweets. They laughed when he said he would run. They laughed when he became the nominee. And they laughed all the way to election night 2016. Then they cried. And haven't stopped whining or trying to take down a legitimate president. They don't understand Trump. 
they will cry again. This means that Rick Wilson will finally be part of a winning presidential cam. Thanks, Rick. This is will get more viewers than Don Lemon gets. Damn straight, Trump 2020. That was fast. Wow, doesn't love the three... Who doesn't love the Three Stooges? A stupid one will make you laugh. Nobody takes CNN seriously anyway. It's shameful that Democrats openly pray this disdain for half of the citizens of our country. More importantly, what do you think they will do if they regain control of the executive branch? It will make the IRS scandal look like child's play. Of course. It will be. Folks, Obama, when he couldn't ban the guns, went after the banks. They punish everybody that doesn't play their games. Oh, Trump giving a warning to California, you may lose federal funding, is totally different than Obama putting out an edict. You either have gay bath, unisex bathrooms where grown men can take dumps next to your little girls, or else you're losing your funding. It was a law until it got repealed. Why don't they have to own it? Anybody out there? Why? Here's the five talking about it, which I really play, so that's why I'm playing. It came up on Mediate, which we're going to go into a Mediate article. Um, I haven't dogged them in a while. But remember, this is Dan Abrams' website. All right, CNN once again taking heat for mocking Trump supporters. Take a look at this. He also knows deep in his heart that Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane <laughs> next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience, uh, you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump um, that, that wants to think that... That, that Donald Trump's a smart one, and they're, oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are them. You elitists with your geography and your maps and your spelling, <laughs> even though my your path and your reading. <laughs> that was good, sorry. Rick, you, that you, was a good one. I needed that. Aw, look at you with your cosmopolitan bias. The liberal network getting intense backlash, and the president is fighting back, saying, quote, Don Lemon, the dumbest man on television with terrible ratings, end quote. Ivanka Trump calling the clip disgusting. So, um, Greg, does this, uh, is, is this one of those moments where the media left show their bias against a large chunk of the country? Well, first, I want to tell you, I did come up with a drink called the Lemon Ricky. It's half pompous, half ass. Um, I don't really, you know, I'm, all for, I'm all for ridicule. You ridicule the guy, though. And what, what the problem with CNN is they ridicule everybody. People. And this has always been kind of their thing. It's like they really do look down their noses at most, at, half, at least half of America. Um, it's no wonder their ratings are in a tank. If I, that is a pure campaign ad. Somebody's got to make it. But I will say this. Rick Wilson, there is definitely something wrong with him. I don't know what it is, but there's something wrong with him. The joke wasn't that bad. It was Lemons just overdoing it, hyper dramatic. Oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Like he was having an orgasm. Like Jimmy Fallon on SNL. Yeah. Yes. No. Not. Don't ever soil Fallon by comparing him to Don Lemon. But it killed me. The overreaction was just so silly and sad. And CNN's in trouble, and they need help. No wonder they're watching us all the time. They have they have their their media crew watching Fox to figure out what we're doing right. Got their eyes on you. Yes. Well, maybe it's uh, respecting 
people's uh, people's votes and people's points of view, even when they don't score with your own. And I think that that's one of the biggest problems. What do you see here? Well. Many people are the first to try to point out, and you know, I'll put like um, Rick Wilson and others, uh, when the president says something impolite or harsh about another person, they will immediately, and I don't like it either. I've said that from the beginning. I don't like, like, I, although I, my nickname I really liked was Little Rocket Man. That was my favorite one. But other than, like, ones that are personal in nature, I don't like. And then I also knew that as soon as Hillary Clinton said deplorables, like, that was it. Like, here we go. And, and also, I don't understand, I, I guess, Using a southern accent to mimic somebody who apparently is dumb and doesn't read is really offensive. I mean, people ha come from different regions of the country. You have accents from people from all over the world. It has nothing to do with your intelligence. It has to do with where you were raised. And th so that, that, I think, is, is offensive. Yeah, how many surgeons have southern accents? I'm, right. I'm pretty sure a million. Yeah, that's why I don't make sweeping generalizations about yeah. large groups of people, Greg. Thank you, Jesse. <laughs> really? Right. Is that like today? Starting yeah. now? Starting now. <laughs> that's right. No. I'm not that offended by it. And I'm not offended on behalf of someone by that. But, you know, I'm usually the one that offends other people. <laughs> so stay out of my lane. No, I'm just kidding. No. But so I have a unique understanding of the situation. The, the two guys on the right and the left, they're like hired guns. They're not going to pay a price. That's true. Right, there's no parent company there. Don Lemon is the guy in trouble because he's supposed to be the straight news guy. And CNN's already in trouble with bad ratings. And he's got problems on the side. So I'm sure Zucker calls him into the office and says, guy, you're, you're, you're a primetime person. And you're and you're you're losing it because someone is making fun of millions of Americans from being dumb that Southerners. Jeff Zucker's having with him. I think he's going, John. That was brilliant. Your comedic instincts were spot on. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Well, if that's what's happened over there at CNN, then they deserve the ridicule because, like you said, they're going to turn around and add like this, or just give a talking point to every Republican, to Donald Trump, to hammer the left, to hammer the yes. media in an election year where Democrats have to regain their footing with white working class Americans, you know, non-college educated people in Iowa, Florida, and the Rust Belt. So not great time. There are, there, but there are plenty of people in the South who have advanced degrees who look at someone like Bernie Sanders and say, he does not represent my interests. I like my money. I want to take care of my children. I will not vote for him. Therefore, I will vote for Donald Trump. Not everyone with a Southern accent is a, a deplorable rube, Juan. I would agree. I have no argument there. I was surprised, though, to hear that Greg and Jesse both said, they wouldn't take any great offense at this, that they think that if you want to have this kind of ridicule, I think is the word you use. I think, no, I said that ridicule is great when it's directed at a person, but not at a group well, of people. Okay. They directed it at a group because, of people. Because I think that nobody, it's no secret, CNN is more liberal, right? Yeah. MSNBC is a liberal network, right? And Don Lemon, I disagree with you on this. I don't think that he's a straight news guy. I think he's a host, well, he, uh, an opinion host. And people no, 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 no. He's hosts. on camera saying he's a well, straight news I guy disagree. and doesn't do opinion. I disagree, because he does... Opinion monologue. He just goes. I, out. I agree. He's very oh, opinionated, well, but he I has this charade very, he's very that he's a straight news guy. shots, piercings. Yeah, and also I, I don't mind that. And also, See, I'm jealous of that. We what couldn't take guys... shots on Fox News New Year's. No. What? Okay. They get away with anything. Can we go back for just a second. Sorry. <laughs> it's, all right. it's all right. But is Rick Wilson's a Republican for his whole career? That's how he became Rick Wilson. Oh uh, no, he found his identity being no, something else. No, he's anti-Trump. He doesn't like Trump, but he's, he's a got, Republican. He's got. He's got. He's got a disorder. He can't change now. It's. It's flooded his brain. I feel oh. bad. Rick, Rick, Rick. All right, coming up, coronavirus fear is ramping up in these United States as the government warns against... 
The problem is, is they don't watch CNN, and every night this is what they do. Lemon and fucking Cuomo, who are arrogant pricks, sit and lecture America that if you're this, you're horrible. If you're not us, you're horrible. You're just fucking horrible. So, Mediate's article, Mega Twitter is absolutely irate over a viral CNN segment from Saturday Night, in which Don Lemon doubled over in laughter of intense mockery of a faction of President Donald Trump's supporters. A faction. No, it was everybody who votes for him. Don't try to fucking parse it. They say anybody who voted for Trump in 2016 is a racist, sexist, homophobe, transphobe, xenophobe, terrorist. By panelists Rick Wilson and Waji Ali, the clip which gained widespread attention Monday night shows anti-Trump GOP strategist Wilson mocking what he termed the boomer rube demographic. At one point, he put out a faux southern accent. Donald Trump smart. Okay, we already heard it. President Trump and daughter Ivanka Trump both reacted to the clip. Ivanka, you consistently make fun of half the country and then complain that it's divided. The arrogance, mocking accent, smug ridicule of this nation's real elites is disgusting. White House Press Secretary joined in the denunciation. Stephen Grisham, wonder if CNN's going to acknowledge, apologize for this arrogant and divisive view of our country. There's a reason trust in our media is an all-time low. Mike Huckabee, arrogant elite snobs with noses so high in the air, good rain would drown them. Keep up your content up of us deplorable hillbillies laugh as loud now election night when trump wins i'm sure you won't look so smug gad sad congrats trump on your 2020 victory the immeasurably obnoxious lemon and his imbecilic ilk truly have no cap- capability for introspection your smugness benefits or man bad stop being so progressively arrogant dr wilton wolf milton wolf trump is right Rib- liberals don't really hate trump they hate us. That's true. Eric Erickson. Yeah, that bit of CNN last night on Donald, Don Lemon's show is bad luck for the network that claims to be fair and objective. Harry Catchatrain. CNN considers itself a professional news network. Their anti-Trump activist guest jokes that Trump wouldn't be able to find Ukraine on a map and host Don Lemon's break into a hysterical laugh fit. David Webb. Play and listen, America, especially 19 seconds in. This is what... Don Lemon and CNN and the left who support the Democrats think of you. Cliff Sims, the Trump campaign should just trim this clip down a bit so it could be a 60 second air and air it in swing states. Representative Paul Gosar, this is one of the most revealing things I've ever seen on CNN and that says a lot. America, this is what liberal media think of you. Ben Van Winkle, I can't believe CNN put down like this up and then wonders why their ratings are so bad. Charlie Cook, I'm, Kirk, I'm reading it because we read all the na- negative shit on fucking Fox. They hate you. The left hates you. Elizabeth Harrington. Is it any wonder why no one watches CNN? Matt Whitlock. Incredible clip from CNN. At least Don Lemon is getting more comfortable letting half the country knows he, what he thinks of him. And Greg Price. Oh, I got two more. Greg Price and George Papadopoulos. Uh, Price. The most amazing thing about CNN clip is how these people claim to be our moral betters but show outward contempt for Americans who live outside their bubbles and then turn around and wonder what exactly is that America hates them back. That tweet is what I've been saying since I started this podcast. We're going to play as Mia Culpa, but I'm going to tell you right now, that is what they think. You're ignorant. You're uneducated. 
Chuck Todd, uneducated voters. Educated voters know what to do. Vote liberal. He's pushed it, and he even said, well, I got kind of flat because I kept pushing that, and I don't think people understand it's it's the demographic. No, it's not the demographics. You're not talking about demographics. You're talking about uneducated people who don't vote Democrat are fucking voting against their better interests, which is to let them rule their entire fucking life. Who to worship, who to pray to, whether you can have a gun, what to eat. They know better than you. They've always been like this. The difference was under Obama, they guised it as, well, they're just racist, they're sexist, uh, it's black man bad. And then to the 2012, it came out again. Oh, fuck, if you don't vote for Obama, you're un-American. And they said it in fancy words. But once Trump got in, it is the, the fucking veil is off. It's just like, you're a moron. How can you vote for this person as an American A forward-looking America who wants progress to everything we think. That's how they word these things. It's not what you think as a Christian or what you think in a rural area or what you think about how raising your kids. Fuck you. You don't know any better. We know on the coast. If we put them all in there and we brainwash them, everything will be better. Because, listen, demographically, there's 70% of this country's white, but that ain't going to last for long. You need to listen to us. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Article, CNN's Lemon refuses to apologize for belittling Trump supporters. Days after he took part in a vicious attack on Trump supporters for supposedly not being able to read, anchor Don Lemon finally addressed the controversy on air, but only after it blew up across social media. During his opening monologue for Tuesday's CNN Tonight, Lemon refused to apologize, instead claiming he didn't bel- doesn't belittle people and was only laughing at a joke and didn't hear anything or everything. This is what it sounded like. And in all of this now, now that we've heard from the senators, is will they hear what the American people are saying? That's a big question. And one final note that I have for you, because this is personally important to me to address this, okay? Anyone, ask anyone who knows me, they'll tell you. I don't believe in belittling people, belittling anyone for who they are, for what they believe, or where they're from. During an interview on Saturday night, one of my guests said something that made me laugh. And while in the moment, I found that joke humorous. And I didn't catch everything that was said. Just to make this perfectly clear, I was laughing at the joke, and not at any group of people. But still to come, on this show tonight, the latest uh, on the impeachment trial of President Donald J. Trump. The problem is... Ex-CNN reporter Don Lemon proves CNN doesn't respect rural Americans. Um, Eugene Scott, a Washington Post political analyst, warned of a political fallout in a piece headline, Trump says CNN doesn't respect rural American. Don Lemon's mocking segment will prove it to them. Even as Democrats impeach Trump, Trump has routinely underlined the contempt of liberal elites 
for rubes and hillbillies and red states who love America and Jesus and police and armed forces and other traditional values institution. Scott began his article, President Trump has long argued that CNN coverage of him is negative because the organization thinks little of him and his supporters. A recent segment seems to be making the case for him. Um, I'm not going to read it because we already talked about it. Scott noted Trump supporters like Mike Huckabee jumped on Twitter, keep up your contempt, laugh at us loud till we win. Since early in the 2016 election, Trump has been the choice of white working class voters, particularly those who live in rural America. Despite Trump being a New Yorker with an Ivy League pedigree, these Americans have said he understands them in ways other politicians and elite media do not. As negative headline about his administration continue to pile up, Trump supports Support with those voters who sent him to the Oval Office remains strong. One of the reasons they continue to stick by him, despite critics' claim that Trump has failed to keep promises to rural America, is that the president and many of these voters share what they perceive as a common enemy, elite media and CNN. And the states where white working class rural voters have largely large populations, Trump remains well liked despite being impeached and being the object of criticism across the globe. Seeing media personalities go from criticizing the president to directly mocking his supporters, even in just this one instance, is all Trump and his team need to illustrate the president's frequent portrayal of CNN as a media organization that not only dislikes Trump, but also doesn't value Americans who support him. And Back to the article on it. His apologies, horseshit. There's a laundry list of being uncivil and vicious. Last year, got our Trump supporters. He has claimed they support racism, describes them as people who will lie and steal and cheat and lie to their mother, and even smears Trump's base as racist, worse than him. After almost 30 minutes after his empty comments, Lemon showed off how little self-awareness he had when he tried to chide Secretary of State Pompeo for his feud with an NPR reporter. We're not perfect. When we get it wrong, we say we got it wrong. We apologize and we move on. Yet he doesn't do that himself. Steve Krakauer, the arrogance, the dismissiveness, the smug cackling, the accent. If Donald Trump wins re-election this year, I'll remember this brief CNN segment late one Saturday night in January as the perfect encapsulation for why it happened. But here are, here is the laundry list. For the nation to move on, the president must move out. You know who said that? Vice President Mike Pence wrote it in the 90s about Bill Clinton. Now he is apparently immune to hypocrisy. But what does that tell you about what you're up against? That was then, this is now. We're up against tribalism. We're up against people who will lie still and cheat, lie to their own mother, lie to themselves about what's right for this country, about truth and about facts, that they will ignore any misgiving, any terrible deed, any awful saying, they will just ignore it for their own political purpose. They will ignore the bigotry and the pettiness and the childishness about, about what Donald Trump said about me and LeBron James and others just because they want to gain some sort of political clout or they want a few more dollars in tax money. At what cost? Listen, I, I, you know, Chris, we don't take this lightly. When, when this president, when this man was on the campaign trail, we tried every, with every bone in our being to be objective and to report on him uh, in a fair, equitable manner. And then when he, he became president of the United States, the same thing. It always gets me when people say, there's 90 percent, this study shows that 90 percent of the reports about this president are negative. 
but they don't talk about the things that come out of his mouth and the policies that he proposes and what he does and says to people. How, how are we as media to report positively on something that's negative? The president called countries asshole countries. Oh, well, that's great. He should be calling. We don't do that. You don't call countries asshole countries. You don't do things like that. You don't talk about people um, in the way that this president does, at least if you're a president of the United States, you're not supposed to. So that whole thing about the, the media is biased and that 90 percent of what we report about Donald Trump is negative. If that is indeed true, then you need to counterbalance that and weigh it against. So is this the end of civility in America? If there were was any left, are we fanning the flames of division? Republican versus Democrat, non-Trumpster versus Trumpster, white versus brown and black, and straight versus gay, and all of that. When our own disagreements turn into personal attacks, are we playing into the hands of those who want to divide us? It is their purpose. Remember, people are doing this on purpose. Is turning incivility against members of the Trump administration really the answer? My husband and I politely left and went home. I was asked to leave because I work for President Trump. Well, or is it the unfortunate result when this administration, this president, rips more than 2,000 children from the arms of their parents and uses language claiming that immigrants and their children are invading and infesting our country? <clears throat> Excuse me. This president and his administration are outraged when their owner heckled or asked to leave a restaurant, yet they support a business refusing to serve gay people claiming religious freedom. This is a president who just this weekend slammed Senator Elizabeth Warren again with a racial slur. Wacky Jackie is campaigning with Pocahontas. You believe this? Who attacked Senator John McCain, a war hero. He's not a war hero. He's a war hero. He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? It's a man who encouraged his supporters to use physical violence at his own rallies. I would have been out there fighting, folks. I don't know if I would have done well, but I would have been boom, boom, boom. I'll beat that. Hmm. He launched his campaign with multiple attacks on Mexicans. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. A president who equated anti-fascists with neo-Nazis and white supremacists saying... There were very fine people on both sides in Charlottesville. Even after a woman was killed, the suspect charged with first-degree murder just happened to be a Trump supporter. Well, this president has never stopped slamming NFL players for exercising their constitutional right to protest as well. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners, when somebody disrespects our flag, to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. He's fired! And so on, and so on, and so on. So, if this is the end of civility in America, is anybody really surprised? But the real question for all of us is, can we turn it back around? The President of the United States is racist. A lot of us already knew that. Those comments are frankly disgusting. There's other language I'd like to use, but we are on television. This is the man who today complained about immigrants who, quote, are from shithole countries. Tonight, a White House official told CNN that they're not worried. They think this is good for them. 
and the president's comments will actually resonate with his base. Jesus. Admitting that for all their talk about making America great, the president is playing to a base that welcomes his racism and will enjoy it. And that is disgraceful. And this is for anyone who may be taken aback by my comments. I want to be very clear here. I don't really care if you are. I hope you are. His supporters made excuses, continue to make excuses for him. Some of them people I personally know. Some of them are his friends, as a matter of fact, and I can hear them now telling me, oh, Don, Donald didn't mean that. Donald isn't a racist or just people who don't know him. I don't think, I think he was taken out of context. I'm not sure. How many examples do you need of this? But he is a racist. And for all of you who over the last few years have uttered that tired, lazy, uninformed, uneducated, ignorant response of calling me and others who point out racist behavior racist, you know what you can go do? On what we ignore, we empower. You just said that, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, I agree with you. And also, I know this is going to be controversial. So, to challenge all the supporters of this president, when you said to John Kasich, I know people who support Donald Trump. They're not bigots. But for people who look like me, other minorities, women who have been, well, let's just leave this to race. This president has said and done so many insensitive and bigoted and racist things that if you support for him, you, if you support him, people like me want to understand why you ignored so much in order to support this man. You may not think you're a racist. Maybe, I, I don't know if you are. I, I don't think, you know, every Trump supporter is a racist. But you certainly had to overlook racism and bigotry in order to make that decision. Now then, maybe you made that decision in the, in the, in the voting booth. And then now, even after all of this, if you still, in your mind, can support this person why the hell are you overlooking racism so much? It is personal and even deadly to people like me. That is important. I think this is a big moment for Trump supporters. It is very hard for people to look at what Steve King was saying. His plea of ignorance, whatever, you know, that, that's about him. If he's not smart enough to know that what he's saying is stupid, that's on him. But for those who support the president, this is a testing. They hate you need more proof anna navarro cnn surreal to see trump and his cult attack bolton and call into question his conservative credentials bolton was a conservative foreign policy poster child back when trump was a democrat and an independent and when he figured out republicans were the fools who could support him bolton was a piece of shit chicken hawk until he said he might have something on trump responses Adam Housley, not a Republican, didn't vote for Trump or HRC, for that matter. Bolton was not very nice every time I met him and not a fan of his foreign policy. But to call Republicans fools is exactly what's wrong in the country right now. Let's talk about issues and policies and leave names. Well, their literal solution is the name call. That's why Navarro, Rick Wilson are doing it. They think it will help Dems. Basically, I'm just sick of seeing spoiled people in the media and politics calling names and proving are providing no solutions. The majority of us are getting sick and tired of it. It's her thing, though. Anna would have nothing to say if she 
had to resist nastiness and name-calling. Name-calling is all she has. These are all individuals. Democrats are done with let's go high when they go low. Republicans stay with the nasty name-calling and playing dirty and every little thing. It's time they get the same medicine. Anna Navarro is a Republican who's tired and fed up with her party. She's tired of their BS. That's a, a liberal. And that is a polar universe. They have never not name-called... They have always said Republicans are racist, sexist, throwing grandmas off cliff. They have demonized, and that's how they get their base to the poll, because liberals, not conservative, hate the rest of the country. I don't give a fuck if you're a goat. Fuck a goat. You want to be an elf? I give no shits. You want to abort a million babies? I don't give a fuck. I just don't want to pay for it. And I think the Supreme Court should adjust Roe v. Wade to be no abortions after the second trimester. At the limit. First trimester is what most Americans think, but at least second trimester. But I don't give a fuck. I'm not going to go out and hit somebody, call them names. I, I don't do that stuff. You do. And how do I know it? Well, as we go to our only music break, and then we'll come back in and close this pup up with some Biden, here's Bernie Four. Two more Bernie Sanders staffers, radicalism exposed, gulags and kulaks exaggerated, make plan for extreme action, destroy property, abolish landlords so we don't have to kill them. Everyone knows to the left there are isolated cases, but it's soon to be widespread when it comes to conservatives. These guys are lone wolves, but every gun owner is at fault when there's a shooting, somebody says. These people are dangerous. Where's the media asking Sanders to disavow them? Is Bernie ever going to have to disavow this pack of wild communists talking casually about the violent overthrow of American government and jurisprudence while simultaneously downplaying the horrors of a gulag? Why is the MSM not covering it? If Bernie Sanders was a conservative, he'd have to answer to this, just like Rush Limbaugh saying, Sander Fluke's a fucking slut. But this is now the fourth audio clip of heinous shit that, you know, oh, it's doctored. Oh, really? Daniel? Hey, I'm a reporter of Project Action. Uh, you said it's important to plan for extreme action. Uh, you don't want to school with uh, the crazy stuff like hot and the yellow vest movement. You know, we don't want to scare people off. So feel it out first before you get into the more, more extreme organ stuff like Antifa. And, you know, you're talking about the yellow vest, all that. But, you know, we're, we're keeping that keeping that in the moment right now. This, uh, what kind of extreme have in mind? Uh, does the Sanders campaign policy, does Bernie Sanders endorse Fellas, I was text and you were taken out of context. Don't believe in uh, crazy violence stuff. Okay. 
Back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. like a little ever clear on this one santa monica used to be able to play that on guitar that's a good song here's uh one that just came late and there's a lot of things going on i'll pick it up next podcast because you know we're on hour five six whatever the hell it is for these two but there was a big hubbub with uh Rand paul walking out and questions are completed and i'll hit that on wednesday's podcast because we're gonna take a little break spend some time with the family uh, go do some stuff, and then I'll hit the next one. But here's Joe Scarborough talking about the Rick Wilson stuff. 
Boy, that was the latest tough ad from the Lincoln Project. The group of conservatives led by Rick Wilson, uh, who are critical of Donald Trump uh, and also critical of Republican members of Congress who blindly and obsequiously put, well, put the values of, of, of their constituents second uh, to that of Donald Trump's. And it's very interesting, Willie, while we were looking at that ad, yeah, you couldn't help but be moved by the images of Barry Goldwater, of course, one of the great conservative icons of all time, who was a guy that got in his car, drove down to the White House in 1974, and walked in and told Richard Nixon the truth, that it was time to leave the White House, mm-hmm. that, that for the good of the country, he needed to resign. What a contrast with Martha McSally, who decides she's going to get on another corrupt president's good side uh, by yelling at reporters who play it down the middle and actually get criticized by Democrats and Republicans alike. It's almost like transgender shit to me, how these ex-Republicans who now find favor by sucking liberal ass all because they hate Trump. No principles. I mean, granted, the moment he started fucking Mika, this is what happened to this poor bastard, but it's horrible. Any politico would say it's horrible. Chuck Todd, if he had any intellectual honesty, would go, this is really bad. This is the stuff you don't do as a journalist because it turns into Rush Limbaugh stuff. But they're all this way. Biden. I had a montage. I'm not going to play it because it's a really long podcast. But this was online for two days. And it's gone. It was posted by the individual it happened to. And it's gone. Somebody got to him. Probably like the Glenn Beck from last podcast. Somebody on the Biden campaign says, you need to take this down. And the guy did it because he's a Democrat. He's poking a voter. Biden puts hands on voter, tells him to go vote for someone else. President's candidate Biden snapped at a voter in Iowa Tuesday as a 77-year-old candidate put his hands on the man and told him to go vote for someone else. Going to support you if you win the nomination because we got to get rid of Trump. But what are you going to do about climate change, the man asked Biden. Now, you say you are against pipelines, but then you want to replace these gas lines. It's not going to work. No, 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 Biden responded. we got to stop building or replacing pipelines. The man continued. Biden put his hand on the man's chest and gently pushed him away, telling the man, go vote for someone else. You're not going to vote for me in the primary, Biden said after the man appeared to express shock with his facial gestures. I'm going to vote for you in general if you treat me right, the man responded. Yeah, I know. Biden responded, well, I'm not. Biden continued to get confrontational with the voter for several moments after the initial confrontation. Democratic presidential candidate Biden snapped as it went online. Taken down. It's gone. Doesn't exist. They they can get away with that. There's a soundbite of him literally saying, I'm a president that's going to respect religious freedom. Because somebody hollers, hey. Hey, uh, I'm really glad you're against the ban. Well, I'm going to be a president that respects religious freedom. Really? Because you're pushing the tranny shit and telling Christians suck a dick, give out birth control pills, 
or abortion pills. That's what you did in your administration. Then, nepotism Barbie. <clears throat> media hypocrite slime nepotism Barbie. Ivanka for rebuking CNN every time the media gets called out for the hateful rhetoric, a smug disdain for common Americans, they double down on the despicable behavior. When Ivanka criticized CNN for the segment, <clears throat> white-haired Godzilla background actor Bradley Whitford took it personal that his CNN friends couldn't get away with mean-spirited clown show that was a Saturday night Don Lemon show. The always unhinged crackpot torched Ivanka because her dad saying something unflattering to John McCain three years ago means she deserved it. He wrote, your father said John McCain wasn't a war hero. Shut your con artist yap. Oh, Bradley, who knew you were such a friend of former Republican senator and a sexist, by the way? Maybe he could have used a little more of your support in 2008. And let's not act like Whitford's some paragon of decency. He's one of the nastiest liberals on Twitter. Charitable C-list comedian Michael Ian Black <clears throat> responded to Ivanka's defense of Trump voters with a measured fuck off. The lefty Twitter user can't stand Ivanka and his sneering paragraph proved it. Ah, yes, Ivanka, purveyor of Waffle House and Walmart, patron saint of strip mall, muse of the misbegotten and dispossessed. Not to mention this is who he thinks Trump voters are, Black added. Champion of the downtrodden, she who provided successor to those living paycheck to paycheck who tend their wounds and know their miseries. Fuck off. George Takai, I know you are, but what am I, retort. Right-wing millionaire and billionaires who rail against the cultural elite are just as elite, but generally much stupid. stupider. <laughs> God, they're fucking horrible. <clears throat> Moving on to unhinged media feminist, songwriter Holly Figueroa. O'Reilly went after nepotism Barbie. She spat, if irony wasn't already dead, nepotism Barbie here just smothered it with silk pillow with this tweet. Your father mocks Democrats, maligns journalists, and makes fun of people looking at looks and disabilities on a daily basis. Flashing that class the left is so famous for, O'Reilly told her to go get the fuck out of here, you feckless and endearing reference to Comedy Central Sam B. Ivanka, a feckless cunt. So she said, get out of here, you feckless cunt. It's who they are. They're mean people. They're evil people. They have to justify all their twisted sexualization of kids and everything by just being mean and projecting it's you. You're the malcontent. You're the person with problems, but it's them all along. More media. Ben Smith will be writing about media. May he aim for the jugular. This is Dylan Byers. NBC. BuzzFeed Ben Smith trashes conservatives, anoints himself supreme arbiter of bias at Facebook meeting. That's who this guy is. He's from BuzzFeed. Ben Smith reportedly had a problem with conservative publications being represented in a meeting with Facebook at a meeting that took place last week before Facebook testified before Congress. This is dated. Smith objected to the fact that roughly half the attendees' executives were conservative outlets. The Wall Street Journal reported he poorly said that Facebook has 
a fundamental misconception about how the news industry works, and other executives from left-leaning publications agreed with him. Smith singled out the Daily Caller, calling it a question of the publication's journalistic standards. From the Wall Street Journal, Mr. Smith said that the number of conservative publications attendance indicates that Facebook had bought into the idea promoted primarily by conservatives that mainstream outlets such as the New York Times are liberal and should be counterbalanced by right-leaning opinion outlets, said people familiar with the remarks. Smith objected in particular to the presence of the Daily Caller, a conservative-leaning outlet whose journalistic standard he called into question. It's repeating itself. Um, <clears throat> not surprising from a guy quoted as calling the Daily Caller journalism trash. But far more telling is his denial that mainstream media outlets like the New York Times or Washington Post have any kind of bias at all. This guy's going to work for the New York Times, and here's his article from 2012. Welcome to liberal America. Barack Obama, gay marriage, weed, and a new focus on climate change. This is the country, and the Republican Party has to adapt. This was November 7th, 2012. Barack Obama's sweeping victory in 2012 election, his party's wide win in the Senate and first ever triumph of marriage equality at the polls, cemented the reality of changed America that emerged in 2008. The shape of that changed country was obscured by the Republican revival of 10 and 12, mean both the survival of Obama's policy project and the clear emergence of new demographic picture and electoral maps. He's one of those, the Democrats' graphics will never elect a Republican president, ever. The first post-baby boomer president was returned to the White House with the whitest, clearest re-election win since Ronald Reagan. That's a lie. Yet a smaller mandate than his own 2008 victory. And Democrats now have an Obama their Reagan, a figure both historic and ideological, can carry, if not quite fulfill, a liberal vision of activist government and soft but sometimes deadly power abroad that will define his party for a generation. Obama lacks Reagan's sweeping victory and presides over a more deeply divided country than when he took office. But the breadth of his accomplishment have been validated by Tuesday's vote. Are you catching why I'm reading this? Not only is he fucking going to be in the New York Times, but this is what they all wrote. This is what they all think. This is the liberal mind. Americans appear to have accepted his campaign argument that he deserves more credit for the nascent economy recovery, recovery than blame for its slow pace, and the version of conservative resurgent appears to have fallen short. The best the Republican Party could muster was a Massachusetts moderate masquerade as severely conservative. The Tea Party is a memory, an embarrassment to a party that didn't even mention it at its national convention in Tampa, and the network that led the cons- conservative resurgent, Fox, suffered a sort of television meltdown as the results came in, with Carl Rowe berating host Megyn Kelly for calling the election, he said prematurely. Republicans have warned of more liberal Obama over the coming term and outcome Democrats hope for and consider likely. But the scale of the decisions facing the country will create an intense pressure for compromise, and now on Democratic terms. But the 2012 election marked a cultural shift as much as a political one. Ballot measures that have failed for years, allowing the marriage of two men or two women in Maine, Maryland, legalized marijuana, Washington, Washington State and Colorado were voted in law. The nation's leading champion of bank regulation, Elizabeth Warren, handily defeated moderate Scott <clears throat> Senator Scott Brown of Massachusetts, and the nation's first lesbian senator, Tammy Baldwin, was elected in Wisconsin. Even climate change was absent for nearly the entire campaign, came roaring back with Hurricane Sandy, and was the subject of endorsements for Obama and harsh attacks on Romney. These measures were passed, and Obama re-elected by an American electorate that Republicans had dismissed as a fluke of African-American pride and youth enthusiasm, which a generation of pundits 
Barone, Will, wrote off as a fantasy. The Romney campaign, in fact, bet its last week on modeling, showing a more Republican, older, and more white electorate, and the reversal of the younger, diverse crowd which propelled Barack Obama to the White House four years ago. But in fact, the share of the 18- to 29-year-old voters increased by percentage point, while the number of white voters declined by two. Their votes were more balanced this time, but the change has been unmistakable and irreversible. The groups on whom Obama depend are the ones that are growing. White men, the core Republican constituency, are a shrinking minority. For the first time in 2011, minority births surpassed white births in the United States, and the longer demographic trends place white Americans in the minority by 2041. The Republican Party will spend much-needed time in the wilderness after this election. Even as the open race for 2016 unofficially kicks off today, the future of the grand old party will be determined by how well it adapts to the brand-new liberal America Indeed, the Obama America that is now here to stay. That's why they disparage you. That's why they hate you. I did this to show what a douche he is, but it was double serving. This is what they believed. And 2016 shook them to a core. There was no fucking way America was going to vote for a non-black candidate, minority candidate again. And then they forgot they were running a white woman, an old white woman who once called black youth thugs. Thugs! But this, this our media, <clears throat> they'll never change. They still believe the liberal America is there. But at the end of his 2016, he had lost more seats than any president ever. State houses, governors, lost the Senate, lost the House. Trump didn't have a landslide in 2018. It was a a small wave. And Republicans were already predicted to lose it. They were supposed to win the Senate. And they didn't even come close. But they don't live in the real world. Elizabeth Bruning. Due to getting a new job, I temporarily had no health insurance, and one child needs her six-month vaccination, and others has a fever, ear pain. Not really sure what to do, but I am feeling it's not going to be cheap. Love that freedom. Chris Jacobs. Let's examine all the possible ways this tweet represents fake news. One of the sillier arguments for single payer I've heard in a long time. First of all, Bruning said she uninsured because she switched jobs from Washington Post to New York Times. But she didn't say exactly why. It's possible that both Washington Post and New York Times don't offer health coverage to their employees. But I doubt it. If she had an exchange coverage while at Washington Post, she could potentially qualify for a special enrollment period. And her income dropped to such an extent that she now qualifies for Obamacare subsidies. But the likelier scenario is that Bruning faces a waiting period between the time her Washington Post employer coverage ends and the New York Times begins. Most companies have six months, a year. This is the liberal New York Times. They're not giving people health coverage? Oh, no. They push for single payer. Under Obamacare, however, employers can impose waiting periods of no more than 90 days. So... E. Burning could face at most a three-month wait until her New York Times coverage comes in. It shows prohibition of excessive waiting. In the meantime, Burning can elect COBRA 
from the Washington Post for the three months or so gap until her New York Times coverage effect. Cobra is expensive, but for three months it would cost a few grand at most. Do I have sympathy for the New York Times columnist that says she can't afford a bill amounting to a few thousand bucks? Absolutely not. New York Times writer make decent income for one. For two, how does Bruning think business owners like me manage our budgets with irregular cash flow? Pro tip, if you can't manage your budget, maybe stop calling for government to manage people's budget for them. But even beyond that, Bruning could minimize her COBRA insurance expense in other ways. You can elect COBRA when leaving a job, not but not pay for it if you don't incur medical expenses. <clears throat> because billing for COBRA policy is by definition retrospective, you can see whether paying for the policy is worth it, particularly when taking talking about short-term gap coverage. For instance, if you incur $100 of medical expense in a given month, but your COBRA premium is 1000 you could go bare, decline to pay COBRA premium <clears throat> after you've elected it, and become uninsured retroactively. This only works in a short-term situation, of course, i.e. before the COBRA building catches up with a recently departed employee. But it does work, and it likely would have worked in E. Bruning's case, because she'd likely take talking about a coverage gap of only 90 days. Moreover, she could have explored short-term coverage, that is, if her state and residence hasn't abolished, prohibited it, it might not have been an option here, given a newborn child, but another option to explore. Then there are also options like Minute Clinic for well baby visits, or a local health department for vaccines, some options could have been cheaper for her than paying COBRA premiums for a short period. In some, E. Bruning likely faces uninsurance for no more than 90 days. She conveniently didn't mention the duration, just that she was uninsured. Her worst-case scenario amounted to a couple grand in expenses, and there are many, many ways to avoid even that. You can go to fucking Walgreens and get inoculations. Every month on crack day, I watch it. These are the same people that say we must have single payer. It is right for America. But they can't even cover their own business. And then lastly, before we go for This is America and close this pig out, I told you it's already starting. I mentioned it in part A. Here it is. Democrats are concerned if Trump loses, he might try to outright sabotage the transition. Oh, like the Clinton administration removing all the W's, the Obama administration spying on him and leaving spies in? We're not going to remember that? We often write about Democrats who have no self-awareness, but this is pretty amazing. Believe us, for years now we've been seeing people on Twitter claim that Trump will not leave the White House voluntarily, even after a second term, and will have to be dragged out by force. These are sometimes the same people who claim that Donald Trump will never really want to be president anyway and dislike the job. Politico is reporting Wednesday that there are some Democrats concerned that while Trump might leave the Oval Office without the National Guard being called in, he and his aides might make the transition difficult for the next president, whom we're assuming they think will be Democrat. Daniel, Darren Samuelson, S-O-H-N, Son. Democrats are bracing for the possibility that Donald Trump loses the 2020 election. He and his aides will bungle a smooth handover of power and maybe even try to outright sabotage the plan. 
Every transition is tricky given the thousands of positions that need to be filled and the array of policy priorities new team wants to pursue. But several Democrats attached to different 2020 campaigns mentioned very specific concerns about what Trump departure could mean. All spoke on condition of anonymity because of the sensitivity of the issue and because no campaign wants to be seen as assuming that Trump will lose. The Democrats said they worry that Trump's political appointees won't meet with the incoming team, there will be little, if any, paperwork left behind to guide them, and that the document share will not be trustworthy. Questions from the article. So this is bigger than removing all the W's from the keyboards? I didn't, I sort of got, I did not read that. <laughs> I haven't read this article, but I can't believe I said the same thing they did. Hopefully Trump will make the transition as easy as a successor. Obama and his administration made it for him. Undercover Huber. Imagine if he decides to hide information from the incoming administration, leak top secret information to the media, and accelerate a secret counterintelligence investigation into the president-elect. Which is what they did. Just imagine if he bungled the transition like that. So he's going to pull an Obama? Well, there is precedence, just like Obama did, right? Oh, an illegal spy on their campaigns. Perfect. Will they be spying? Like maybe turn loose some spies on them? These are all individual tweets. They only think of the things they've done themselves. Typical Dem tactic. Accuse others of what you actually are doing. Seriously. So once again, Dems accuse Trump of the things that they're actually doing and have done. This projection sounds familiar because this is exactly what Obama and Deep State did to Trump. Leftists accuse others of what they do themselves. Things are so good the media has to make up hypothetical future events to create outrage. The left's lack of self-awareness is truly staggering. The media and the Democrats have done nothing but sabotage the transition to power since the day Donald Trump was elected. Hope he treats them as nicely as they treated him. Spies, lies, and fake investigations. I read all these because I want myself to know it's just not me obama's idea of peaceful transition was to spy oh like obama those people are the very definition of diabolical narcissist unbelievable but blame the media for this divide they created it in the past 12 years smooth handover of power like what happened after 2016 couldn't think of more hostile transfer of power than obama's and we're using the same timeline as obama trump's cia is currently running an intelligent plot against biden I wonder who the mole is. <clears throat> well, at least we know how well prepared is the incoming administration since the Democrats have now set and defended the precedent that is totally acceptable for the incumbent to secretly monitor their opponents and replacement. This complete lack of awareness is fucking mind-blowing. Just mind-blowing. These fucking people are fucking Unbelievable. Which takes us to our This Is America liberal media scream. I'll tell you what you heard on the other side. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they... This is America in 2019. In Frank Rich's latest article from New York Magazine, he writes, Once Trump has vacated the Oval Office and possibly for decades thereafter, his government, like any other deposed strongman's, will be subjected to a forensic colonoscopy to root out buried crimes, whether against humanity or the rule of law or both. With time, everything will come out. It always does. 
Joining us now is Frank Rich, writer-at-large for New York Magazine. He is also an executive producer of HBO's Succession. What I try to do in this piece is make the point, whoever goes to jail or doesn't go to jail, whatever crimes are found out now or in the course of a Trump presidency is nothing compared to what's been buried that none of us know about, not even a very uh, zealous investigative press has found yet. And people are going to be turning over rocks for decades. And you, know, you look back at history, General Motors and Ford both had executives who were essentially Hitler appeasers. And, and in case of General Motors, involved were involved in the armaments that were used against American troops and manufacturing them in Germany during the war. It took 40 years to find all that out, but it all came out. And people who support these kind of regimes, whether it be appeasement then or America first in the 30s, or Trump, which is, you know, a, a, let's face it, a criminal presidency, however you want to slice it, um, it's, it's, there's going to be a reckoning. And one other thing I wanted to mention is we can only take the Nixon analogy so far because, yes, Nixon abused his office. He also tried to throw a presidential campaign, but it would never occur to him to collaborate and aid the Soviet Union, right. America's right. own enemy, it would never occur to him, to my knowledge, to break up immigrant families and at the border and turn away uh, refugees um, from horrors in other uh, countries. It would never occur to him to, uh, quite the contrary, to fight climate, uh, climate change science and to downgrade a regulation of environmental uh, poisons. And so these are really serious crimes, and whether they produce... Uh, jail sentences or not for the people who did them, they'll be implicated, and so will their children and their grandchildren. There's going to be a stain. No, there, no, and here it is a cult because yeah. they absolutely people who, in some cases, did have reputations that they've now destroyed, good reputations, have made fools of themselves uh, for their dear leader. And the thing about cults is they always do come to an end. And the cult leader, whether it be the Reverend Moon, you know, who was a Nixon mm -hmm. supporter, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, uh, Jim Jones or, or whomever, Charlie Manson, they're never going to be reformed and never going to, and that's certainly true of Trump. They're never going to see the, the, the problems with their ways. But the people who sw swirled around them and were taken in, uh, they're going to pay a price, a human price and a reputational price forever. I'm going to lean in harder. <laughs> I'm gonna lean in harder. What does that mean? Uh, I'm gonna lean in harder. I'm sick of the craziness. So, if you thought I was, I went hard in 2019, watch 2020, baby. There's more to come. I'm a soldier. I'm ready to fight. It's a big year. It's a big year. For a lot of reasons. But I'm gonna be more grateful, spend more time with my family. Oh, yeah. But also lean into work harder. And uh, we gotta get ready. It's an election no, year. No, it's, it's. We're gonna, we're on. That is just one, what, the last three weeks, I guess is what it is. The liberal media scream for January 2020. We had the rubes. Maniac Marr says liberals are already measuring the drapes in the Oval Office. Yeah. You don't really think Trump is going to concede, Marr asks. What's the plan? Mar to Yang. You don't really think Trump is going to concede. What's the plan? This is my question for Democrats all this year. What is the plan when he says, I, it's rigged. We found irregularities. I'm hearing, I'm suspending everything. Yang is counting on the military to make sure Trump doesn't stay. Yeah, we're going to use the military. That's our deal. Yeah, gave him three out of five screams. Liberal media scream, former New York Times critics said Trump aides are cultists and toadies. 
Yeah. It's hard to imagine supporters of President Trump being dissed worse than HRC slap at deplorables, but a former New York Times critic has gone way beyond that, comparing them to cultists such as those who followed Charles Manson and Hitler. Um, Frank Rich, who was featured on MSDNC's uh, O'Donnell <clears throat> show to elaborate on his magazine feature, what will happen if Trump toadies look to Nixon defenders and the Vichy collaborators for clues. On the Thursday episode, Rich says, whatever crimes are found out now or in the course of Trump's presidency is nothing compared to what has been buried that none of us know about. Yeah. I think we played that one on the show. Five out of five for the screams. Uh, Don Lemon promises to lean in harder. Anchor Don Lemon, one of the cable's notable critics of President Trump, whenever a weekly liberal media scream feature for his promise to turn up the heat on craziness and celebrating the New Year's on CNN shortly after midnight, he said, I'm going to lean in harder. Remember that? We covered it on the show. Going to lean in harder. I'm sick of the craziness. So if you thought I went hard in 2019, watch 2020, baby. There's more to come. I'm a soldier. I'm ready to fight. We're going to get ready. And it's an election year. We're on the grind. Yes, you are. You just condescend to Trump voters and <clears throat> did a great job of getting Trump reelected. I mean, seriously. Trump relies on social media. That's his deal. And you guys feed him cannon fodder every fucking week with your horrible things. It's just unbelievable. This podcast, as you can tell by the end, <clears throat> it's now noon. We started at 4 a.m. I left to go do something. It came back. Didn't get the haircut. I'll get it. I got to get my beard trimmed. It's pretty depressing. When you really break it down, it, it's very depressing because it just keeps getting worse. And, it, you know, I, I met a guy. Uh, my wife had been collecting uh, old Valentines. We're talking antiques from Germany. Shit that is, like, never came out of the wrappers. From the 20s. Like, 1920. And we're going through our stuff, and we're going to... Like, I have a whole bunch of radios, but I, I... You know, it was nice, and I collected them, but I really don't... Um, I don't use them. We moved them downstairs. And, and once again, it's not because of money, because you lost your job. We're fine monetarily. Um, it's just stuff that... You know, why do we keep all this crap? So she put it on Marketplace. One hour later, it sold, and I went and met the guy today. And this is just some dude lives in Nashville. Um, said he was a Democrat because he started talking politics to me. And we met at a Denny's and a uh, Flying J parking lot. Uh, he was coming up the highway. He does junking. So he goes place to place, gets stuff, and he goes and sells it in his booth to these, these uh, junking shows or flea markets. And he was buying this, and he paid $50, which, you know, she'd probably paid about 70 for all this, but it's been over a year, so he wanted all these Valentine's Day cards she collected, like 220 of them. The stuff coming out of his mouth sounded like me, and he said, I was a Democrat until Trump. And he watched for three years and just said, when I started this, I was like, fuck him. But then I started watching what he did. And the policies, and that things are going pretty good, and the way the media and the left has acted has fucking embarrassed me. I'm embarrassed to be a Democrat. That's what he said to me. 
Because I told him I wasn't a Republican, I was an independent, but he was talking about politics because he was listening to a radio. And I go, oh, I used to listen to that show. And he was listening to a Fox News show. Um, I can't remember the guy's new, but, you know, I don't listen to Fox News radio anymore. I used to back when Gibby was there, John Gibson. But And it was amazing conversation because here's a guy that used to be a Democrat, not a hard left Democrat. And here's me that used to be a Republican, but I'm now an independent. And he was talking just like me. And the reason why he was is this impeachment, what the media is saying, the hate, the divisiveness. You don't have a lot of Dave Chappelle's from our previous alpha segment of this podcast. They literally see us as the enemy because we don't think like them. Yet, as I showed in here, and I did it on purpose, and I know it was long... You couldn't say this shit as a Republican president. I mean, for fuck's sake, they said he says rapists and murderers and all the white supremacists are good. He never said any of those things. They outright say they fucking think you're a terrorist. I'll throw hands. I'll throw you down a flight of stairs. Those are things CNN hosts have said. And it's because they hate that the demographics didn't work. They didn't get their liberal America. But what they forget, and every time, it's what I love about America, I've always loved about America. The middle of the country is your guide. When things go too left, they vote Republican. When Republicans overstep, they go Democrat. That's why you haven't seen a 12-year run of a party since Bush took over for Reagan. And ever since then, you're going to only get eight years. That's why you see about every four years to six years, the House or Senate's going to flip. And there's a reason, because Americans go, that's enough. That party didn't get it done. Which really brings up the most important question. Why the fuck can't they just work together? If you'd work together and not work to your base, you could hold power a lot longer. But they can't. Every election, every two years, they're going to come up with the fucking, those people are the devil. Republicans less now, but they used to with terrorism. And that's how they lost power. That's how they lost to Obama. But the worst part of this podcast is how now the media is part of it. As I say all the time, it used to be we hated the candidates. We hated that party. The Democrats now are we hate the people that voted that way. They don't know your heart. They don't know why you did it. And as I say at nauseum, it's usually because you voted against Hillary, not for Trump. And they have outright assaulted Americans for not thinking like them. And it's just not this one Don Lemon. It's not even the list I played. It's every night. MTP on MSDNC. Lawrence O'Donnell. Chris Matthews. Rachel Maddow. CNN. From Cooper to fucking Lemon. There is going to be somebody to come on there for monetary and clicks and all that shit. 
but they truly believe if you don't think like them, you're a horrible human fucking being. And all you have is Tucker Carlson, Hannity, and that lady that I always forget her fucking name. That's all you got. You got three shows every night that are conservative. Yet, if you go to Mediate or you go to CNN, those three shows are huge. They are constantly bashing those three shows. That network's the devil. But you own everything. And you're the ones saying the heinous shit. On Fox, they're defending. You're attacking. And it's getting more and more vile. So, I think it's a good gauge when we look at total viewers on a show. There's a reason Fox News is winning. It's not because a bunch of racists like Trump. It's because it's getting just gross watching every night two gay guys, a guy who says he's a Catholic, and a an outright socialist, Lawrence O'Donnell, and a gay, lesbian, fucking Rachel Maddow, and an ex-staffer, Chris Matthews, come on TV and just disparage most of the country. Because not even Democrats think like them. As seen by the guy I randomly met to, I met today. Not even Democrats are as extreme as these fucking people are. They're extremists. And it, I think it comes back to the fucking Chuck Toddness. They are so frustrated that you won't do what they tell you to do. That now it's like, okay, fuck you. You're not an American. You're a terrorist. You're a racist. You're a sexist. And that's pretty fucked up. So this wraps up two very long episodes of Flower Politic Podcast. Please feel free, feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP Podcast, gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcastetic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and PocketCast. Remember to check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and our Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. As stated, next show will be uh, 2 five twenty. Yeah, the 5th, I said that all fucked up, I didn't say it my normal way. The 5th of February, year of our Lord, 2020, it'll be a one show. I'm going to cut it down, do less, hopefully the impeachment will be done by then. Please God, let it be over with. And just do some quick hits. I hope you all have a great weekend. Stay cool, warm, whatever it is where you're at, because where I'm at, it's just dreary and nasty. And as stated during the A Block, uh, please... Use sanitizer. I'm telling you, that coronavirus is no fucking joke. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. And tune back in Wednesday for another exciting episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at Fop Podcast and Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.
the shyness that is criminally broken I can summon a of nothing in particular 